all bad things. Tragedy. Tragedies, disasters. That's bad things. Trigger warning for everything possible. What? Hello. I'm Rachel. And I'm David. And this is All Bad Things. Do we have any housekeeping before we get started or... Well, just I, our, our usual. Our usual, our social meets. Yes. Social meets, we're on the Twitters, the Instagrams, the Facebooks. At All Bad Things Pod. Exactly. And allbadthingspod.com. And you can email us at allbadthingspod at gmail.com. You are a quiet bunch. Our little yeah, listeners. We, ex- we expected uh, maybe they're ashamed of themselves. <laughs> they might be yes. a little bit. <laughs> like we're kind of ashamed of ourselves a little bit. Well, but, but whatever. Yeah, we're still. Has nothing to do with the podcast, but yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is actually true. Maybe they're ashamed that they're listening to a podcast about uh, massive casualties. Well, possibly, but it's human. Yes, it happens. We know. We kind of know some information about you because of our SoundCloud statistics. And we know that there's some of you in Australia and New Zealand, and we know we don't know anyone in Australia or New Zealand. No, not at all. So, so uh, Australia and New Zealand, we're just throwing this out there. If you want to host us ah, for a week, sure. ten, 10 days, sure. 10 days, because that's a long flight. So 10 days. If you want to host us for 10 days and uh, show us your spectacular surroundings and... Mm-hmm. We'll gladly do it. But I think it's only like 10 people <laughs> listening in like New Zealand. Well, they can, all, they can all pitch in like, you know, uh, something. A thousand dollars? Yeah, like, it would take yeah, that. Yeah. At least. <laughs> so tell your friends. If we get 100 listeners in Australia, that's $100 a piece. And, there you go. And we're, that's doable. Yeah, we're good to go. <laughs> and, and a venue. Yeah, we'll figure well, that actually, out. Well, actually, people we can, we just can, like, meet you at a restaurant somewhere. We can just do it at somebody's house, like we're doing like in our own bedroom. Basically. <laughs> I don't know if we could fit 100 people in our bedroom. No. No. That has to be a fire hazard. Probably. Or a porno shoot, one or the other. Ew. <laughs> Didn't have to take it there. I guess not. All right. But, so. I, but I did. <clears throat> Are we ready for yes. today's tragedy? Yes. So today's tragedy is the Granite Mountain Hotshots. Hmm. So this, big shout out to Reg Manning. Yes, Cousin Reg. Yep, Cousin Reg, um, fellow member of the St. Louis support group Mm -hmm. that I married into, um, for suggesting this one. This one completely came from Reg Mm -hmm. as a suggestion a few weeks ago when we saw him at the wedding. Yes. Um, because there's a movie coming out about this tragedy called Only the Brave, and spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the movie, you want to see it, you don't want it to be spoiled, and they stick to what happened in reality, then obviously we're going to be telling you what actually happened. So, spoiler alert here, if you want to be surprised when you go to see Only the Brave. And we have not seen it. Mm -mm. Um, I think it comes out this, like, Friday the 20th, which this, this podcast might be out. After that, but It'll, as of the recording, we're still about a week out. I thought I thought it was opening this weekend. Mm-hmm. No, okay, next weekend. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, 
We saw the trailer for it when yes. we went to see It. Yes. Mm-hmm. And It was a fantastic movie, by the way, so go see that if you haven't. Mm-hmm. Um, but the uh, the trailer looked pretty epic, but uh, I will admit I know nothing about this. I don't... Same here, and... Um... Reg kind of remembered when these events had happened, and this yeah, is very recent. Yeah. Like in terms of the the disasters we have covered, so. Um, but yeah, I don't remember this at all. I don't either. And this is this actually happened right before we met, like okay. days before we met. Okay. All right. That's so, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So let's get into it, shall all we? All right. So on June thirtieth, twenty thirteen, three wow. days. Before wow, we that met. is right before we met. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Yeah. The deadliest wildfire in Arizona history killed 19 City of Prescott firefighters. Wow. Yeah, 19. That's a lot. Near Yarnell, Arizona. Okay. All right. Now, this may or may not be a two-parter. I have four pages of research here. That's, That's a lot of pages. And again, still working on getting all the research links up on the website, but um, a lot, like this was, there was a lot of information on this one. Sure. Partially because, you know, it only happened a few years ago. And, partially, and, and there's a movie about to come there out. There is a movie about, about it. it so. but, but actually, I got the bulk of my information from two great articles that were written like 2014. Okay. Um, one was in GQ and one was in the Atlantic. Okay. So we'll definitely get those links up as soon as we get all the links up for the research. But well, probably the best coverage of it would have been uh, pretty much right soon after it happened. Yeah, I would think. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right. So the city of Prescott, Arizona, um, is a city with a population of about forty thousand. In Yavapai County, hope I'm pronouncing that right, Arizona. Um, Prescott is between Flagstaff and Phoenix. Okay. Kind of offset to the west a little bit. We did consider Sedona for our yeah, we did. for our honeymoon for a long time. Also in Arizona. Absolutely. Yes. Within the Prescott Fire Department, there was a group of firefighters called the Granite Mountain Hotshots. Um, at the time of the fire, this group of hotshots was led by Superintendent Eric Marsh, who helped found the crew um, in 2001. Sort of the, the beginnings of what would become the Granite Mountain hotshots, anyway. Uh, by 2004, they were a Type 2 crew, um, which isn't necessarily in, uh, the same as a hotshot, not an elite status, um, but they worked their way up to becoming hotshot trainees. Um, by 2007, and in 2008, they were given the official designation of a Type 1 hotshot crew. Okay. Um, there are... So, so they just grinded it out for, what, six years? Uh, seven. Seven yeah, years? Yeah, to kind of build themselves yeah. into this hotshot crew. So Eric Marsh was, like, the guy who sort of brought them them through that. James Brolin and the... Uh, no, Jim Brolin? Josh. Josh Brolin. Jim, James Josh. <laughs> Jim Brolin's We do not know if that's who he's actually playing because we haven't seen the movie. No, I know because I looked it up on Wikipedia. Oh, okay. There you go. Um, but Jim Brolin is the one who's married to Barbara Streisand, right? I have no idea. He's the old guy. The His only. Dad. Oh, I, I don't know. Oh. The only Brolin I know is Josh Brolin. Really? James Brolin's his dad, I'm pretty sure. I don't know who that is. Okay. I'm guessing he was an actor as well. Maybe one of our listeners can <laughs> <laughs> confirm that. My friend Aubrey, by the way, confirmed last week that um, we brought up uh, How the Grinch Stole Christmas. 
Uh, we were, yes, because we, we were not sure if it was Dr. Seuss or not. Which it is. is. Which is kind of. It is. Leave it to a <laughs> kindergarten teacher to know, yes, it's Dr. Seuss. Yeah. <laughs> which in retrospect is kind of sad, but I saw it once or twice when I was like four or five and like, that's it. Like I. Yeah. I don't do the Christmas specials and st- I, yeah. I just, I just don't. Anyway. Yeah. So anyway, if anybody knows if James Brolin is indeed married to Barbara Streisand and is Josh Brolin's dad, and I believe Barbara Streisand is his stepmother, I, I then didn't know any of that. that please. Okay. Right. Here's what I do know mm-hmm. is that Josh Brolin mm-hmm. was the oldest brother in The Goonies. Thank you very much. That I've never seen. And that's we're gonna have to we're gonna have to remedy that. Yeah. One of these days. Well. You'll enjoy it. Okay. He was in No Country for Old Men, right? He was. Josh yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also a fantastic movie. Yes, very good. Mm-hmm. Yes, that was an excellent With movie. With also co-starring quite possibly the creepiest character that's ever been on screen. Yes. Like that and guy. Sugar. 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 Creepy as fuck. Yes. Yes, he was. So back to the hot shots. <laughs> yes. Enough of Josh Brolin. Yeah. <laughs> so there, there are about uh, like a, a little over a hundred hot shot crews in the United States. Um, and about 16 of them are type one hot shot crews who handle like the biggest, most complex fires. Okay. Um, Would these be the guys that are jumping into them? No. Oh, so here's okay, so that's a different... Hot shots are not smoke jumpers. Okay. Smoke jumpers parachute down sure. into fires. Hot shot crews... <laughs> Just consider that for a I moment. I know, right? Well, <laughs> I mean, not literally into flames. Still, but... They, they, they are dropped, like, where things are surrounded by fire. Yes, that is still very ballsy. <laughs> yeah. But I'm not... But they're not literally dropped into fire. Oh, I, I understand. Yes, I know that, but still, yeah. in one way or another... Mm-hmm. Uh, figuratively, they are getting dropped into a fire yeah. from yes. the sky. Yes. Now the so that's what smoke jumpers do. Now hot shots work a little differently. They fight wildfires, so specifically wildfires. Um, but they do it. They fight them by basically clearing away the fuel source for the wildfire. So they clear out brush. They burn out brush. They use power tools to clear out. Um, vegetation they uh they they dig like ditches yeah the fire Mm -hmm. so the fire can't cross them things like that so their their specific purpose is to basically like choke out the fire sure by working the perimeters to um eliminate the fuel source for the fire so that's specifically what a hot shot crew does now it's still risky and elite because they're working very close to very dangerous fires. And just consider all the work that they're doing, like clearing out brush, mm-hmm. all that, like digging trenches. Yeah. That's fucking it's hard a, work. It's very hard work, yeah. yes. Uh-huh. That's very true. Um, now, there were 20 granite mountain hotshots. Typically, hotshot crews are in 20. Shit, are you serious? There was 20 of them. Uh-huh. And you said 19? I said 19 died. That's correct. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll, we'll talk about why it was only 19. We'll get to that. Shot. Shot. Um, so the, the name Hot Shot certainly makes it sound like they're very, like, elite status, but the actual training for Hot Shots tends to be on the job training. They really only complete so many classroom hours. The rest is done learning on the job. (laughs) In the field. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Um, the, these firefighters tend to skew young, as could sure. be imagined, mostly yeah. in their 20s. Um, Marsh, as the leader of the Granite Mountain Hotshots, was older. He was 43 okay. at the time. Um, and interestingly, only six members of the, this crew were full-time firefighters with benefits. The rest oh. were seasonal workers. Oh. Firefight, or uh, firefighting season, that's still... That's not what I meant. Wildfire season. Well, you, well, you could also say that that is firefighter season. It's wildfire <laughs> season. <laughs> Fires can happen anytime. Uh, obviously, these these other fourteen guys knew that at certain times of the year that they could they would be gainfully employed. Yes, yeah, basically, and apparently this is pretty typical of hot shoppers because, mm-hmm. like, yeah, there is a season for wildfires. God, that's fucking crazy. Like, mm-hmm. and they're not. Uh, so, Talk about a group of people that deserve benefits. And right. Jesus right. Christ. Um, so the fitness baseline for a hotshot crew is pretty high. Because like you said, they're clearing out yeah. brush. Really hard grunt work. Um, a, a, a typical sort of um, level of fitness that they're expected to meet or exceed is to be able to run a mile and a half in less than 10 minutes and 35 seconds. Do 40 sit-ups and 25 push-ups in under a minute. That's pretty hard. Um, and hike three miles with a 45-pound backpack in less than 45 minutes. That's also very hard. Yes, all of that's very I hard. I think the... It, I, I certainly can't fucking do it now. Yeah. But back in the day, as mm-hmm. they say, um, even out of high school, like even into my like early to mid-20s, I probably could have done a mile and a half and it was 10 and a half minutes or was it yeah. 10 minutes? No, 10 and a half. I think I could have done that. I think I yeah. could have, because like my like my best mile ever was like six forty five or something like that. Yeah, that would that would put you just yeah. a little bit under. Yeah, but but the other two hurt. things that you named, no, no right? fucking way. I feel like there's a chance I could do the hike, but that's. I mean, yeah. forty five pounds is heavy. Yeah, and doing it in th- what, three and a half miles, or is it three miles and forty five? Three 45 miles and forty five minutes. That's f- now that's not a terrible pace, but you're hiking with. Yes, with a huge. With forty five yes. pounds strapped to your back, that's yeah. Yeah. No fucking way! I'm doing that now. Right. I don't know if I could have done that when I was eighteen. Yeah. So, so there's a reason for this much like pickiness in physical. Sure. Um, Ability, it's because the work of a hotshot's really hard work that takes a lot of grit and determination, and it's, it's very difficult. And once you start it, it's not like you can take a break here and there. Like, you're, no. you have to keep going. Yeah, yeah, the fire's not going <laughs> to yeah. just pause like, for like, you. Like, no, time out. Mm-hmm. Like, ten minutes. Like, no. Yep. And the reason that they do the hike with the backpacks is because they usually hike with backpacks sure. to the area with the fire. Um, they tend to work in 16-hour shifts, which is a huge shift, um, with not much sleep and in really rough terrain. No. Because this is out in the wild, you know? Um, Yeah, even when they're off, they're they're really not sleeping. Right. They might be. Uh, Well, 16 hours, like 16 hours on, 8 hours off, that's... But there's still, you still gotta remember, there's a fire going on around. Yes, yes. Where the fuck they're, like... I'm just gonna I'm just gonna sleep through this and like mm-hmm. yeah that's that's some that's some balls these guys have yeah and they work in a kind of like a tour fashion like a tour of duty almost 
Um, during the wildfire season, they'll work two to three weeks in a row, sometimes with only a couple days off in between fires. I'm honestly surprised they're having any days off in between that. Well, I mean, like, they'll work for two to three weeks on a fire, get a couple days off, and then be deployed. Oh, and then, then go to the next, okay, yeah, I see. Yeah, like, oh, okay. tours, gotcha. sort of. Um, and you're like, oh, hey, there's another one out in L.A. Well, let's, that's let's, the thing. Let's exactly. go to that one. There's a lot of traveling involved. Yeah. They, they, just because they were based in Arizona didn't mean they stayed in Arizona. Yeah. They traveled a lot. And this particular crew especially traveled a lot in the southeast. So so that is about a little bit of background about the hot shots themselves, like the crew, what they are, and everything. Now let's talk about the fire. Yeah. This fire. The Yarnell Hill Fire is what it was called. Um, so at 5.36 p.m. local time on June 28, 2013, a fire was sparked by lightning on, oh. the Bureau of Land Manage- on Bureau of Land Management land near Yarnell, Arizona. It's a really small town. Well, I'd rather have that than, like, some dumbass, yeah, like, no, threw, it a, not, threw a cigarette out of his no, car. No, it was, it was, it was yeah. lightning. So that, that's, that's, just, that's just something natural and... Yep, and, and yeah. very typical of... Of wildfire season, um, so it was it was set around um, eighty or it, it was sparked around eighty miles northwest of Phoenix. Okay. Um, like about thirty five miles southwest of Prescott, the city of Prescott, where the hotshots were out of. Um, so yes, th- this type of fire was really common, or pretty common at least around this time of year. And at first, the Arnold Hill fire was actually nothing particularly remarkable. It looked like just about any other fire. Um, in fact, six other wildfires were sparked at the same time as this fire was. So, in the same storm or whatever, very n- near to the same time. At f- so, at first, it really just didn't seem too bad. And, and that was partially because the lightning actually hit some thinned-out vegetation... Um, so it, so it kind of had trouble getting going. Kind of, yeah. yeah. So it only burned about a half an acre. That, yeah, that's for that, that's nothing. And yeah, and then it started for to look, for a wildfire. Yes, and it started to look like it was gonna yeah. burn itself out. Like basically. like a half acre is like the best possible outcome right. for mm-hmm. a, for a wildfire. So um, so it it wasn't looking bad. It was looking like highly controllable. Um, and this fire was initially monitored by Russ Shumate, um, who was an Arizona State Forestry employee. Um, he made the call to initially not send firefighters out to the fire because, like I said, it just really looked like it was burning itself out. Was not very large. Very, it was actually very small. Plus, it sparked some other ones. So no, it didn't spark. No, no, no. Oh, that the, that that event yes, that yes, like yes, sparked yes. some other, other fires. Yeah, and there was yeah. probably like, oh, go to this one instead. Yeah, maybe. I'm not sure. I didn't look into those other fires, but yeah. So, and there didn't seem to be a reason to risk firefighters going in when it looked like it was kind of going to resolve itself. So it, it seemed to be the right call at the time, and there's no reason to be too worried about it. Now, by the next morning, Saturday, June 29th, the fire had spread a little bit. Um, but only to about two acres, but still it had spread. So Shoemate called in air tankers to pour fire retardant, um, on the fire and sent in seven firefighters to, um, dig what they call a fire line or like a break in the vegetation that the fire can't spread past because it doesn't have a fuel source. Um, 
And this strategy seemed to work pretty well. Uh, and they were actually getting close to kind of calling it a day and saying this fire's under control, and that's that. It was it was just seemed that cut and dry. So how did it go from that to into something that killed into something people? that uh, there's about to be a major motion picture about? Yeah. So unfortunately, this area had not seen any wildfire since 1966. So the that's brush, a long time yes. for that. That's almost 50 years yes. in that little area. Yes. So the brush was really overgrown in mm. the area. So that's more fuel for the fire. And not only that, but the past year, that previous year, had seen a pretty significant drought. So the brush was very dry and very ready to burn. So, okay, the fuel source is ripe. But sure. then on top of that, on Saturday afternoon... The wind picked up, and mm, gusts of shifted. over gusts of over twenty miles an hour pushed the fire over the dry brush that was ready to burn like that, and it did not take long for the this little fire that was contained to less than two acres to catch over one hundred acres on fire. Fuck. So it just it just that's, spread that's exponentially. The uh, fire that's happening like outside of LA right uh-huh. now. That's kind of how that got spread. Is wind. all all of a sudden, the wind picked up and uh-huh. started shifting things well, all over the place. The Santa Ana winds come into play. Yeah. as we discussed. So so oh fuck. Mm-hmm. Like it was like it. It should have been like a meaningless thing. Yes. It and is. then and then all of a sudden there was really no reason to be worried about it yeah. initially. And then yeah, it, it pretty quickly. Things turn and, and that's what people were saying. Like, I watched a couple of videos on it. Of the like, LA fire? Yes. Mm-hmm. People were like, well, we knew it was going on, but it wasn't around us. And that I saw an sad. interview with this one guy, and he was like, all of a sudden, uh, there was a fire in my backyard, and 10 minutes later, my house was gone. Yeah. Like, it happened like that fast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So by Saturday evening, the fire was getting threateningly close to the people of Yarnell and also another nearby little town called People's Valley. Shit. And they hadn't experienced anything like this in almost 50 years. It, that This particular vegetation yeah. hadn't, hadn't burned. Yeah. Now, that's not to say that other vegetation on another side, I don't know if people in these cities had experienced it, just not this particular batch sure. of land. So. Yeah. So it probably caught everybody off guard. Well, I mean, I'm not, that's what I'm saying is, like, if you have a town, say, here in the center, and this is the brush that hadn't burned in 50 years, well, maybe brush over here had burned plenty, and so people were, had experienced wildfires before. Yeah, I guess. It, it just de- it depends. I'm not, I'm not sure. It's just that this particular brush. <laughs> Either way, it sucked. Yes. Yes, it did. Really so, badly. Mm-hmm. On Sunday morning, June 30th. Um, Marsh, the superintendent of the um, Granite Mountain Hotshots, along with lots of other firefighting supervisors, sheriff's deputies, and even a fire behavior analyst, gathered at the Yarnell Fire Station to determine their strategy for fighting the Yarnell Fire. So the Granite Mountain Hotshots had been called in, lots of other crews had been called in, because by Sunday morning, it had already spread to over 300 acres and was still continuing to grow really rapidly. So they strategized their use of resources and used satellite imagery to um, identify 
like where the fire was burning, what might be safety zones to mm-hmm. retreat to in case of things going they're, horribly they're, awry. They're basically coming up with a with an attack plan. Yeah, an attack plan exactly. And using satellite imagery, they identified Boulder Springs Ranch as being a, a safe zone. Sounds good to me. Yep, a place where the brush had already burned. Just just the be... name alone, Boulder Springs yeah. Ranch. It sounds like a safe place. Yeah, it kind of does. Either that or like a terrible place in The Walking Dead or something. Right, but it would also be a safe place for a little bit. Until they became cannibals yes. or whatever, yeah. So they identified that this Boulder Springs Ranch, Ranch was the safe zone that they could use if they needed to go to safety. So that will come into play later. It was kind of like a, like as they say in the military, a demilitarized zone, a DMZ. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So Marsh met the 19 of other members of the Granite Mountain Hotshots in that morning and gave them their individual assignments. And their strategy was twofold. So some of them were going to cut fire lines, cut the vegetation at the perimeter of the fire to keep it from spreading, while others would set what are called backfires or controlled burn fires. So instead to, of manually to burn out, out the other stuff exactly, that would, would, would eventually catch anyway, but let's get it out of here. Or exactly. Let's get it. Exactly. Yeah. So controlled fires. Mm-hmm. Um, so they hiked to their places and began working. <clears throat> In the late morning, an air tanker, the the Mm -hmm. planes that had fire retardant, Mm -hmm. um, mistakenly dropped fire retardant on their backfires. So, thought they were, yeah. Yeah. So, Marsh How pissed would you have been at fucking that? Yeah, Marsh was pretty pissed, but he adapted, they had... Well, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. So they went to, they changed their position a little bit. They went to a different part of the fire's perimeter. It was a little closer where the fire was a little more aggressive. Um, and they, they had to respond with a more aggressive attack. Um, at that time, he assigned 21-year-old hotshot Brendan Donut, is his nickname, McDonough, to be a lookout while the rest of the crew um, were cutting the fire lines. Um, fire lines, am I right about that? Yeah, that's what it was called, right? Yes. Fire lines, yeah. yeah. Um, and then he would, while, while they were doing that, he would keep a, an eye on the fire and radio them if there was like, oh, hey, it's coming this way now, or watch out here, or whatever the case would be. It was important to have a lookout, basically. Sure. To, to know if anything um, changed, because yeah, when because you're the, in the middle of it, yeah. you can't see what's going on, necessarily. Yeah, and, and how this whole thing got started, the wind could shift all of a sudden, mm-hmm. and the... And we'll get into that. I'm, gonna, I'm guessing Stop. we will. Yes, yes we will. Yes. We're drinking, um... What, are, what were these called? A uh, something beacon mule. mule. A beacon mule. Beacon mule. That is bourbon and ginger beer. It's delicious. It is delicious. We recommend it. With lemon juice. Yes, because we didn't have limes. Yes. Uh, so Marsh was also coordinating with Brian Frisbee, not B E E F R I S B Y. Um, still, Fris- it still <laughs> makes you think of throwing him. Yes, Fr- Frisbee. <laughs> Frisbee was the superintendent of the Blue Ridge Hotshots, another crew who were working nearby and at a different spot, and they were strategizing too over where they would like meet in the middle to start um like basically their each of their cut lines would come together um 
so so we have our lookout. We're coordinating with the other hot shots. Everything's very much under control. That afternoon, a front reached the fire site ahead of a thunderstorm. So. Oh. It created outflow winds, which are created when cool air from a thunderhead falls and becomes a strong horizontal wind so when it reaches the ground. It's so just, the wind falls and, and then And then pushes everything. Yes. Fuck. Um, so now this, this was expected because they knew the information of the weather reports, but the effects were a lot more dramatic than what was anticipated. The front basically turned the fire 90 degrees. So it completely turned it, and the winds picked up speed really quickly, and by mid-afternoon, the fire had spread to over 2,500 acres. So this fire got out of control really quickly, and and just sort of a perfect storm of wind and brush and everything else. So a little before 4 p.m., they were still on the 30th, the fire hit a trigger point. Um, So trigger points are like conditions of the fire and positions of the fire that the firefighters have in mind that okay when this happens this has to this has to create this action like we have to um evacuate this town and once this fire reaches this velocity or this place or this whatever that's called hey, hey, point. that's that's excellent that they actually have a plan for that yes exactly and they, they they'll have multiple trigger points okay when this happens we do this then when that happens we do that and then when that happens like there's a lot of Plan A, B, C sort of things. And if the fire yeah. stops in the meantime, then we don't so, have to so, that. So essentially, like, put these guys in charge of our government. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> it depends on what they would plan to do. True. Um, so a little before PM, the fire hit a trigger point that McDonough, the lookout, had, had chosen as an indicator that he needed to retreat from his own position. Yeah. So, like, his I'm, lookout position yeah. was getting dangerous. Like, uh, my lookout position uh, no longer exists. Right. It's not safe anymore for mm-hmm. me to stay here, yeah. So he radioed Jesse Steed, who was one of the granite Mount- other Granite Mountain hotshots, and he's like, look, I have to retreat here. This this isn't safe for me to stay. And Steed said, okay, cool. And actually, this is a quote, quote, okay, cool. I've got eyes on you in the fire, and it's making a good push, end quote. Because this is radio communication. Sure. So some of this was recorded. So around this time, uh, Todd Abel, who's one of the operation chiefs at the fire, there was a lot of crew on this, not just the hot sure. shots. So, yeah. Um, he radioed Marsh. Oh, this, this is like all hands on deck yes. kind of shit. He radioed Marsh to make sure that they were okay, make sure that the hot shots were okay. And Marsh responded, quote, the winds are getting squirrely up here, end quote. But he also told Abel the hot shots were safe and they were... Um, it, in the black, which means they were in a place that had already burned, was charred up, and there was no fire. So basically, it's it's a relatively safe spot because sure. the fire can't. Catch it's already there. it's already gone through there. Exactly, it's it's been yeah. and gone yeah. or was gone. In any the fire. any uh, energy source it had, it's already no used up. Yeah. yeah, and it's a big enough place that they don't have to worry about the fire encroaching. So God, I uh, okay. So they, Continue. they they seemed to be in a safe place. Seemed to be well. Um. And Abel responded, quote, okay, copy, just keep me updated. Uh, you know, you guys hunker and be safe, and then we'll get some air support down there, ASAP, end quote. So they're to, to keep working on the fire from the air with the retarded. Sure. 
A few minutes later, Paul Musser, another operations chief, called the Hot Shots to ask if they could spare any of their guys to for Yarnell, the, the town nearby that was getting more and more in danger of being encroached by the fire. Um, and somebody, either, they're, they're not sure if this was Marsh or Steed, one of them uh, responded like, no, sorry, we can't. We have our um, hands full. Yep, but they suggested that they talk, they asked the Blue Ridge hotshots if they could spare some of their um, resources. Now, meanwhile, McDonough was trying to figure out the best place for himself to retreat uh, from his lookout post um, when Superintendent Frisbee drove up and picked him up. Um, Frisbee and some of the other Blue Ridge hotshots helped McDonough move the vehicles that the Granite Mountain hotshots had brought to safety, so got them out of the way of the fire, too. And they found a safe spot for themselves. They all ended up a safe spot at a roadside cafe in Yarnell. McDonough radioed Marsh to tell him the vehicles were safe, and he also said, quote, Call me if you need anything. I'll see you soon. All right. Now are we ready for things to go to total shit? Well, we know they're going to. Yes, we do. So. Yes, we do. So the Granite Mountain hotshots were still in the black in a safe zone, right? Watching the fire. Um, One of the crew members, Scott Norris, texted his mother a picture of the fire from like his vantage Mm -hmm. point with the text, this thing is running at Yarnell. Um, Overhead, a three-man crew in an air support plane, Bravo 33, had begun flying to map out a route for um, other planes to drop fire retardant. Sure. The crew overheard on radio communication, overheard Marsh saying that he was moving the Granite Mountain hotshots down an escape route out of this area. Um, And it's still to this day not known exactly why they made the call, he made the call to move them. Um, There's been speculation that they were like, you know, we need to... We need to keep fighting this fire. We can't just sit and watch it. But ultimately, it's all speculation. Nobody's 100% sure why he made the call to move them. But he did. Um, and so, so the Bravo 33 overheard this. And so they radioed Marsh, Bravo 33 radio Marsh, saying, is everything okay? Like, thinking, you know, we heard that you said you're moving. Is everything Okay. And Marsh responded, yeah, we're just moving. So that was happening. Okay. So as Marsh was moving his men to a different position, they came to a point where they basically had two choices. They could continue along where they had set backfires before um, or head down a canyon to Boulder Springs Ranch, the place they identified uh, as a safe zone. The the DMZ, if you will. Um, They could see the fire. And it looked like the route to the ranch was safe from the path of the fire, so they decided to head for the the ranch down the canyon. Now, in doing so, they lost sight of the fire, which in firefighting is actually a pretty big no-no. Well, sure. You don't want to not well, and, know where your enemy is. And the other thing is, uh, one of their uh, their main lookout is gone, so yes, he, he is. so he's not watching it either. That's exactly right. And they didn't reassign a lookout. Mm-hmm. So that's true. They, they lost sight of the fire, mm-hmm. which 
wasn't good, but they felt good about it because they were moving parallel to the fire, and the fire was still over half a mile away from them. Unfortunately, there were some complications with the route they decided to take. Um, they thought, it, it, visually, it looked like they were a lot closer to the ranch than they actually were. Mm -hmm. They were still about a half mile away. And unfortunately, the brush, which they thought had been previously burnt out, wasn't burnt out. So there was still brush along this route, and they had to, like, bushwhack. They had to cut their way through this vegetation oh. to get to the ranch. Um, and by the time they reached the bottom of the canyon, it was about, took, took them about 12 minutes, the fire had been propelled by a powerful downdraft and began sweeping through lower elevations of valleys and canyons oh, and was basically shit. right above them. Wow. At 4.37 p.m., as Bravo 33 flew overhead to continue mapping routes, Marsh radioed them to indicate that the pilot was on the right track. Like, yes, this is where you need to drop the fire retardant because they could see him. Hmm. Um, and then at 4.39 p.m., a couple minutes later, Marsh radioed them again and said in part, quote, we are in front of the flaming front. It's like things, things were getting bad. And he radioed them again and again and several times in quick succession. But his, his, Messages were harder and harder to understand because sure. of the wind. Yeah. The winds had picked up so badly. Um, and his voice was getting more and more panicked. And he was getting more and more insistent of like, hey, when are you going to drop this, the, this retardant? Like he, he was asking for an air attack. Now, this was the first indication that anybody had that the hot shots were in trouble. Okay. Until that point, they thought they were either in safety or, like Bravo 33, making their way to safety. They mm. assured them they were fine. It all seems like everything was okay. These crews were given an awful lot of leeway by the individual leaders. So, you know, there are multiple people who outranked Marsh, but he was the leader of his crew. Sure. And it was pretty common for them to be able to make their own on-the-spot decisions without being too micromanaged. Well, there's there's a lot of trust involved in yes. that. And, and, and skill. And let's face it, they all have the same goal to yes. contain yes. and then put out a fire and make sure everybody gets home safe. So yeah. I, I would think if you're in that line of work, you're the only reason you're in that line of work is to is because you're a trustworthy person right. that... Knows what you're doing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, yeah. it's not like it's some, like, oh, I just, uh, these 19 kids, I just picked them up from a bar. Right. You know, it's not like that. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think everybody, every crew is trusting on each other that, okay, we all know what we're doing and whatever assistance we can offer here and there we'll do, but everybody knows their job and. And when we need help, we'll call for it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this had just happened so quickly and so and much. And just out of nowhere. Right. This happened over 12 minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, the shit's bearing down on them. Yes. And... Mm-hmm. And now things are bad, but it's like, okay, now we know something's going on, but what do we do about it, yeah. you know? Another firefighting crew picked up some of the radio transmission between Bravo 33 and Marsh um, and heard some of their exchange. Uh, the pilot... So this is the, this was re recorded too. 
Um, the pilot asked if Granite Mountain copied, like, can, can you hear us? Can you copy? Um, and all that was heard on the other end was the sound of chainsaws, um, which was not a good sign because it meant they had to be, they were clearing out brush when they were supposed to be in a safety zone, which meant that they wouldn't have to clear out brush. Mm-hmm. So the, this, the, the crew that had picked up on this transmission knew like, okay, this isn't good. They're supposed to be someplace safe and they clearly are not. Um, Marsh finally responded and this time his voice was calm and he said, I'm here with great granite mountain hotshots. Our escape route has been cut off. We are preparing a deployment site and we are burning out around ourselves in the brush and I'll give you a call when we are under the, sh- the shelters. The pilot said, okay, copy that. So you're on the south side of the fire then? So remember, they didn't. They thought they were going to be escaped. Mm-hmm. They could have escaped north or anyway. Um, and Marsh yelled back, affirm, so that he was affirming their position. There's, and I, I watched this, there's helmet cam footage of a firefighter from a different crew okay. in a different area. It's still dramatic because there's a lot of fire and smoke sure. around him, but he's safe. He's in a different crew. Um, but it's more dramatic for the fact that what was recorded on his camera was the radio trans, this radio transmission. Oh. So you can hear this transmission that's available. I'm, uh, I probably am not going to check that out. It's pretty, it's pretty sad. Yeah. Because yeah. you can, I mean... I, I just, in my mind, it's, it's probably worse than what it is. Yeah. Actually is. So yeah. I'm just going to stick with... What's in your... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's in my head? Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 the audio is available and it's it's pretty... It's pretty hard because you know what, you know, mm-hmm. what happened or we're about to know what happened. Yeah. So Marsh was starting to panic and... Or not panic, but getting like... When he yelled back a firm, he was getting agitated because there was a damn good reason to be agitated. The crew was running out of time to try and clear out an area for their shelters. By shelters, they meant fire shelters. Mm-hmm. And fire shelters are basically, they look like giant um, tinfoil bags. And they're made of um, aluminum foil, silica, and fiberglass. And they're essentially... A resource of last resort for wildland firefighters. Um, it's not meant to keep anybody alive with like engulfing flames. Sure. Uh, but what it can do is help trap breathable air in an in a non-engulfed area. So a firefighter can survive inside these like bags, the shelter, for an hour or more without suffocating. Okay. Yep, suffocation sure. is a huge yeah. concern in fires, right? Yeah. And in some fires, certain types of fires, they're actually really effective. And it's estimated that they've saved the lives of over a thousand wildland firefighters over the years. Some countries, like Canada and Australia, actually don't use them because they they feel that they give firefighters a false sense of security. Uh, well, um, I, and might hmm. actually inadvertently encourage them to take bigger risks. And you can see both sides of it. You know, yeah, so, you can. Yeah. So, um, I'd, I'd much rather they have it. Well. And we, and we, uh, we, we go on their judgment rather than. Y- yeah, fair you point. Know. So not every Granite Mountain hotshot was able to make it into their shelter. 
And also these shelters, like you're supposed to point your body in a specific direction according to the fire. Like there's a protocol for sure. it. Um, but ultimately it didn't matter. Yeah. Um, so these fire shelters were no match for the flames mm. that engulfed the area. And it couldn't prevent the temperatures inside the shelters from that's, just that's getting too That's the other too thing, high. too. Yeah. yeah. Most firefighters who die in fires don't die because of being literally burned alive. Right. They actually die by breathing in air that's too hot for human lungs. Oh. Um, and it can take just like one or two breaths to kill somebody when the, when the air gets too hot. Um, fire behavior analysts later estimated the fire crossed the last hundred yards towards the hot shots in 19 seconds. Holy shit. Burning at 2000 degrees Fahrenheit. Fuck. The flames were estimated to be as high as 70 feet. Yeah. You're not fucking surviving that. No. Like you're just not. No. Um, Bravo 33 tried to contact Marsh again seven times over the next four minutes. And didn't get nothing. Yeah. Um, at this point, it was clear they were they had been in trouble. They weren't hearing back from them, so foot crews and helicopter crews were deployed mm-hmm. to look for them to look for the Grand <coughs> Hot Shots um, at five sixteen p.m. A helicopter medic named Eric Tarr spotted the Boulder Springs Ranch. Um, knew that that was where their safety zone was, and then saw a cluster of fire shelters about a half mile west of it. So they still hadn't reached. So yeah, they zone. never actually no. got there. No, they were still a ways away. The pilot landed, hiked to the site, and found all nineteen men together, and their shelters were mostly burned away. None of the 19 hotshots had broken protocol, tried to outrun the fire, nothing. They were all together doing what they were supposed to do to try and get in their shelters. They were all t- together in an area of about 24 by 30 feet in like a slight horseshoe shape. Seven of the hotshots had been able to fully deploy their shelters. Um, the rest were only partially covered. Parts of each of their fire retardant clothing had been charred. Oh, Jesus. Which can only start happening at 824 degrees Fahrenheit. Tar actually checked each of the 19 men's vital signs for signs of life and radioed in at 6.35 p.m. to confirm they were all dead. Fuck. Yeah. It was the greatest loss of life for firefighters in a wildfire since 1933. Wow. It was the deadliest wildfire of any kind since 1991 and the greatest loss of firefighters in the U.S. since 9-11. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. The sole survivor of the Granite Mountain Hot Shots was Brendan Donut McDonough, the lookout. Who well, yeah, I'd kind, of, kind, of, kind of forgotten about him while you were telling that yeah. part of the story. And mm-hmm. yeah, he would be. Yeah. Because he had he was, been driven he, by his post, yeah. driven out of his post by the fire, he was safe, and he had he had effectively communicated with his crew to let them know what was going on. Yeah. The Yarnell Hill fire continued to grow uncontrollably through July first, reaching eight thousand three hundred acres. I still like with all these I wildfires know. that happen. I'm like, how is there anything left to burn? Right. 
Well, there's but, but massive amounts. Of I I know, but there the still United is States is, is I know. But you hear about this amount of acreage that every year it grows gets back burned. Eventually, it, it does, but still, I mean, so. it, it's it's it's. Thank God we only live in a place where hurricanes slightly touch you. Yeah. They give you a nudge, but that's yeah. that's about it. So uh, eventually 400 firefighters were working on this fire to contain yeah. it. It had gotten so out of control. After making steady progress in the days that followed, um, the fire was eventually declared 100% contained on July 10th, 2013. <laughs> wow. The fire, in addition to killing the 19 hotshots, had destroyed 129 structures. Mm-hmm. So, and that was probably kept to a minimum because these were smaller towns. Now, sure, yeah. You know? So, that was the, that was that bit of it. We'll go into the aftermath, but yeah, that was the, that, that was the tragedy part. That was the part. tragedy, yes. So, even though hotshot crews are called hotshots... They're very clearly trained to not knowingly risk their lives for the sake of stopping a fire. Um, well, yeah. The, I Granite, mean, the Granite Mountain Hotshots even had a big sign in their station that said, your life is more important than any structure. So that combined with just how big, how what a big loss of life this was. 19 firefighters, all from the same company. A whole unit except for one person. Except for one person. It, it made for quite a call to find out what happened here like what went wrong a team of experts was put together right away to investigate what happened it did take a while for them to piece events together because they used an awful lot of like scientific investigation and interviews and because a lot of investigations like this rely on eyewitnesses but the entire well i mean died yeah nobody lived to say what had happened And, and plus i mean with all the smoke and the chaos and all that stuff, I mean, would it have really how been? relevant would an eyewitness testimony be? Because well, I mean, the the one thing is that they could have maybe explained why they moved. Yeah, well, yeah, so, I guess. Like I said it's still sort of the underlying mystery of it. Yeah. So ultimately, the state of Arizona's um, forestry division released a report in September 2013 that found no evidence of any negligence or recklessness in the deaths of the 19 Granite Mountain hotshots. There were descriptions of communication problems, especially like they were having issues with radio communications, apparently. But in, in that situation, I, I, that's probably normal. Um, maybe. I mean, yeah. it's, it's certainly not unheard of. Yeah, I would think not, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so... Um, there, it was also like, pointed out that no one knew exactly where the hotshots were, but that also the hotshots had not necessarily communicated their exact location either, so, like, eh. Well, what they... There a little bit. Well, here are the two things they did know regarding that. They knew the one spotter was out of the area. Because, uh... You mean the lookout? The lookout. Yes, Mm -hmm. because somebody from another crew, from a... Oh yeah, entirely so he, different he crew. Blue Ridge hotshots, picked him yeah. up, so you know that he told his guys like, "Hey, I've got this guy from the Granite Mountain hotshots." Well, of course, they knew where he was. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then the other thing is they knew where the Granite Mountain hotshots rally point was. 
They knew the, the yes. Boulder Springs Ranch. Yes. yes. Uh-huh. So they had those two pieces of information. But they didn't know physically where they were. Sure. The, the, were the, the everything in between part will kind of always be speculation, mm-hmm. but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess that other people knew those two pieces of information. Yes. Well, yes, yes. They knew that, certainly. So, mm-hmm. um, so ultimately, the Arizona's Forestry Division report didn't really say much in terms of, like, if anyone had acted inappropriately and ultimately didn't, said no one was, there was no evidence of, like, recklessness. Yeah, or, and it doesn't sound like there was. Yeah. Well, near the end of 2013, a wildland fire consulting group prepared a report for Arizona's Division of Occupational Health and Safety, so OSHA for yes, the state yeah. of Arizona, and it said that the Granite Mountain hotshots weren't given sufficient maps or aerial images of their assigned territory, which could have helped them better determine possible escape routes. They also said that the hotshots should have continued to post lookouts after McDonough. So sure. when McDonough had to retreat, they should have posted somebody else. Right. That, um, that makes sense. I mean, that's... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, though, they put most of the blame on the state forestry division, Ooh. saying that they should have pulled back the hotshots and other firefighters much earlier as the fire began to intensify. So I think it was, like, by 3.30 that day, they should have pretty much started pulling people out. should have been like, okay, like, uh, yeah, we're going to call it a, we're going to call it a day and... Yeah. So in the end... Regroup. Yeah. Let's rethink this thing. Like, it's... So in the end, that was really the only determination that was made in terms of responsibility. And the Safety and Health Division fined Arizona's Forestry Division $559,000 for that. Well, I mean... I, I certainly wouldn't. I wouldn't put any based on the information that you've given. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't put any blame on anybody. It's just a, a freak occurrence. It's it just, um. It, it's not yeah. like when it's not like when these guys chose their rally point. It wasn't like they were saying, "Oh, the fire might." It, they're in their minds like the fire is no way coming here. Well, so but it just also it was the, the route to that that Boulder Springs Ranch was not clear like they thought it was. Sure, I mean and, you and can. That's where the better maps, better imaging, sure. potentially could have come into play, which I could see that. But it but it's not like these guys didn't know what they were doing. No, like like no. it it was just uh, what wound up happening that last. Um, gust of wind mm-hmm. like nobody you can't predict that no. it, it was kind it seems like kind of a perfect storm of little choices that probably wouldn't have gone wrong in any other situation yeah it, just for this particular fire it yes. wind up costing them their lives yes and yeah. then natural things that happen like literally nature that couldn't have been predicted yeah. that just happened Far I mean, with a magnitude this nobody expected. Fire started out as only burning a half acre and was about to be done. Burn, burned out, yeah. That's how it started. Yeah. And at up to this point, we're at what were they at at this point? Like well, it, it hundreds was of up thousands, twenty five hundred, no, or 100. tens of thousands yeah, of acres. Twenty five hundred on Sunday, and then it eventually spread to eighty three. Yeah, and nobody saw that coming. Yeah, no, it, it so basically, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. And it was a perfect storm of conditions: the dry brush from the drought, the um, fact that it hadn't burned in so long, the the downdrafts, just the the yeah. severe winds. I mean, I, I, I obviously you have to have an investigation. Nineteen people yes. are dead. I mean, so that's completely fair. 
to have an investigation. It's completely fair to call out certain other agencies for, well, you could have done this, you could have done that. That's fair as well. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with the fine, but whatever. It's $500,000, which I'm sure to a local government even is probably not that much. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a big number. But this was just... But I understand the investigation part in the, okay, now that we know that this can happen, how do we fix this? Like, okay, when you replace... When that one lookout left, you should have replaced right. him, obviously not in the same area. Or that's that's why he lookout. left. Yeah. Um, you should have had an, a, a backup spot for mm-hmm. another lookout. So that's mm-hmm. something we can improve on. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing you were saying before is they lost sight of the fire. Yes. Like, now that is already yeah. known to be like a, no, you don't like, do that yeah. sort of thing. That, yeah. that was a risk that they definitely took. Yeah. Um, but again, it seems like there, there, are de- there were a series of decisions that, in most cases, probably wouldn't have been a, a problem. Like, maybe it was a little risky, but it the risk was probably yeah, minimal. Yeah, but these guys are used to a little risky. Right. Like, a little risky to them is, like, whatever. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and it, it had the situation been any different, it would not have resulted in any problems, and no one would have thought twice yeah. about the fact... And, and, probably, and probably, like, the other thing that came out of this, maybe, I don't know if you have this, is, like... Uh, choose several rally points, like an A and a B, like in case. Well, well, that's what they're saying with the um, the fact that they, well, the finding that they weren't given sufficient maps or aerial yeah. imagery that they could have on the spot identified. Because, like, oh, we can go here. Yeah, yeah, maybe it's not so much an A and B as in real time. Having, sure. Because we're talking about 2013. Yes, this is, this is when I was going to say, this is when you could have like a tablet in your hand. Did. Yeah, they did. Initially, yeah. they were looking at this all on an iPad. Yeah. So th- this is something, yes, that they had the technology to have. Like, um, Marsh had this in his hand the whole time, basically. So, so so why couldn't he get... I guess I don't understand that. Then well, why couldn't he get satellite? provided with proper images. They were getting these images from the forestry division. Oh, okay. So okay. that basically that the forestry division failed to get... Yeah, I can kind of... That's kind of falling down a little bit. Like, uh, should we give them satellite photos too? Or probably. Well, well no, I, I think they did. It's yeah. just like whether their equipment was sufficient. Or, I don't know. Yeah. I'm not... I can't get into the... Because I don't know the details too much. But. I'm, yeah, but I mean, even so, it, yeah. it was just and the, just a freak um, occurrence yeah. essentially and from what the I whole can, thing for yeah you know, from what I can tell that was the end of the granite mountain hotshot crew like they didn't reform yeah or anything. um and uh yeah so only the brave opens October 20th maybe they'll sponsor us <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That we'll get to, we'll, we'll, we'll get to uh, walk the red carpet in Raleigh. <laughs> and maybe maybe Ben, our photographer from the uh, oh, from our wedding, from, from our wedding <laughs> can show up and like be like, oh. We can just, we <laughs> and can everybody just, else would be like, who the fuck are these exactly. people? Exactly. <laughs> we'll just we'll just show up to Crossroads with our own red carpet and like. Paparazzi, and, and, and like by the way, this this isn't gonna be a trend. Like like when a movie opens, we're gonna do like <laughs> no, a, a dis- no, it not just like uh, it just worked out. Cousin Reg like came up there, mentioned it to us like a mm-hmm. couple of months ago. No, just a couple weeks ago, it was at the brunch. I thought it was before that. No. Well, either way, 
Um, I had never heard of it when he was talking about it. I didn't know what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. And then when we went to go see it, they had the trailer, trailer for that movie, and I was like, and you told me, you're like, this is what Reg was talking yeah. about. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, okay. I'm like, uh-huh. I, I mean, it, it kind of looks like disaster porn. A little bit. Well, the it's way, a disaster movie. But right. It's not a true story. But the way they did the trailer. Oh, I'm, I got you a little too flashy, maybe. I'm just a little. I'm just not into action movies anymore. Hmm. Like, I'm just not. Um, I like a good action movie on the big screen. It, it depends. Kind of, but I don't, I don't have. I'll put it this way. I don't, I don't have the drive to see them like I used to. Oh, okay. Like, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the whole. Um, Marvel and well, that's like, like all that. Action. Well, it is, and you kind of have to know something going into it. But I tried to get into it when they first started coming out with those movies. Mm-hmm. But then they came out with so many in TV shows, and I'm just like, I like, I can't do it. Like, yeah. I just, I can't keep up. And plus, geez, I wonder what's going to happen in the end. Oh, the good guy's going to win. <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, but in this, yeah, uh, obviously the good guys. Do not win. Like I said, spoiler alert, unless they completely change the real true story, like Josh Brolin dies, so does everybody else. So does everybody else except for the lookout. Except Miles Teller, who plays Donut. Oh, okay. So Miles Teller will live, everyone else will die. He's lived through that. He's lived through a a really psychopathic uh, band teacher. Oh, that's right. He was in Whiplash. (laughs) Yes. Excellent movie. He just shows up in everything. Yeah, he's one of those Miles Teller. Guys, yes, kinda, yeah. he does. Mm-hmm. I started to watch that War Dog movie, War Dogs movie on the plane. Okay. Coming back from San Diego, but they had it censored. Well, you're using like the United in flight movie, right? But still, I watched another movie where it wasn't censored. Really? And I yes, Weird. and I I I caught on like ten minutes into it, like like no, he was really saying shit or fuck, and they <laughs> and they turned it into. <laughs> and I just, I couldn't do it after that. Well, was, did you ever hear um, Snakes on a Plane when they yes, had to dub I, over that? Yes. On this mother, on this uh, Monday Mo- to Friday plane. Oh, I've heard Monkey Flying. <laughs> monkey Flying Snakes. <laughs> monkey Flying. The best all-time dub. Uh-huh. And I'm sure it's got to be on YouTube. Because this was a big movie back in the day, and it lived on, you know, cable for a while. It was Major League. Okay. Which you have seen. Yes. Um, there's that one moment where Charlie Sheen is up against like his rival batter and his third baseman comes over to him thinking he's going to, you know, talk shit to him cause he just banged his wife the night before. Oh, uh-huh. And you're thinking it's going to be like this tense moment where he tells mm-hmm. him to fuck off or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he just puts the ball in his glove and he goes, strike this motherfucker out. Okay. But on the TV version, like, when it's on TBS, it's hysterical. What did they do? It's like, strike this guy out. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, choked out. It's so, like, so obviously (laughs) dubbed over that it's... And you can see his lips moving. Yeah. So obviously and blatantly dubbed over. And you know, if you've seen the movie even once, you know what the Mm -hmm. line is. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's, it's funny. But anyway... So that was the story, the true story, the rest of the story. That was the rest of the story. Of the Granite Mountain Hot Shots. And by the way, just to, just to bring up this note, not that we like to, our show to get political or anything like that. We bring up stuff here and there. But the next time you hear about um, people wanting to not have a Medicare for All system, 
Think of the 13 people who died that had no health insurance and what their actual job was. Yeah, well, who weren't getting benefits They had no benefits. That. that doesn't necessarily mean they didn't have another job with benefits or through their spouses. They're, I'm, I'm sure. not arguing You're, against right. the point. I am just saying we don't know for sure that they didn't have insurance. We don't. We, we can't say that for sure. That but there's uh, a lot of options uh, where they could have or, or uh, odds are have. odds are I, I am I'm not comfortable speculating on that <laughs> just because there's enough reasons it's, it's for there to be Medicare for all. Anyway, sure. But that's how about we cut it off there. At the oh, we don't even have to bring it up. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I mean, I get what you're saying and, and, and you're right that, uh, I mean, it is kind of, uh, sad's not the right word, but kind of like that this was seasonal work or is seasonal Well, I mean, it it is sad. And then... I mean, and yes, I get that there is a wildfire season, but I would be okay with these people being like teachers where they get, well, actually teachers don't get paid year round. They just, they get paid for the time that they're working, but... Uh, you you know what I mean, like uh, get paid, be- will have benefits year round and be paid commensurate yeah. with a full year's salary, even though they only work within a certain period of time. You know? Yeah. There's, I mean, I, I don't know anyone who would, <laughs> anyone who argues against firefighters getting like health benefits and yeah. good pay. I mean, come on, yeah. you're a jerk. Sorry, but you're a jerk if you argue against that. Yeah. I mean, I think people are jerks who argue against like teachers <laughs> not getting good benefits. Essentially, if you argue them. against anybody getting those things, you're kind of a jerk. Yeah. But like, especially like, like for these, these are t- no brainer. Like, like if those laws were passed, uh, this is who it would affect. Also, yeah. It wouldn't yeah. affect just the oh the lazy people. Right. It would affect people who are seasonal firefighters. Who Risking are their lives to protect <laughs> yes. people? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. So and uh, that, the people the, who, when you call nine one one, show up. Yeah. You know, and protect you and save you, and yeah, try and keep your house from burning down. Yeah. I mean this. This was. Uh, I mean it. This, you know what I, I realized? It's, 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 it's a bit heartbreaking, like, this this whole thing, because... As, as we were going through it, I realized how much I was talking and how little you were, because it's just, like, it's hard to... Well, because I, I don't... I don't know the story, I so know. I was just listening. I know, and it's... It, ultimately, it's, like, there's not much... There's not... Yeah. to be found there, Yeah, there, there's... Yeah, I don't have much material to work with on on this one. We had more than we were talking about little kids dying, yes. which is terrible. But because there's and, and also an insight to our psyches. <laughs> exactly. This well, plus there's something like I feel like there's something different between the human caused and the natural disasters that we cover. You know, something like a stampede is a human-caused sure, yeah. tragedy. Now, I am not saying that that makes the deaths any less no. tragic or the situation. Or that there's tragic. any fault of anybody that was involved. It's, it's just... No, it's like just people a, are trying to kill people. No, it, It's, not. again, a freak occurrence. Exactly. You know? But it's, this is this is a natural... Like, fully natural. Freak, it was even, freak occurrence. It was even a lightning strike to yeah. begin with, you know? And then just, like, once again, nature saying... 
like nature was basically like fuck you like, yeah, team like, firefighters like, like I don't we're not really shit. that concerned no. like we don't really care Mm-mm. like we're gonna, we're gonna do what we want while we're here and and it, and it doesn't because well the reason like it's even silly to say nature doesn't care because nature isn't a, a sentient being no yeah, and, and it's and it doesn't exist in a vacuum. Right, right. Like it's it's just it's, it's just it's just there. It's just cause and effect. That's all it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah just just natural things yeah. that happen. So, so this is yet another example of many other ones that we've covered before of nature just being like, yeah, I'm really not that concerned about the human race. If yeah. they went away, oh well. And there is something especially, I don't want to say more tragic, but certainly scarier. I mean, that's pretty fucking scary. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine that shit? Like, just the trailer that we saw. uh, Yeah, of the movie. You have a a 70-foot wall of flame coming at you? Yeah, fuck that. The descriptions of, like, how they were found and, like, what their last minutes were probably, like, Yeah, I don't even want to know. I I just don't. I know. That's a tough one. I'm sure it was spent uh, shitting their pants, realizing that this is it. And hey, like yeah. I hope I hope somebody had a cigar well, or a well, cigarette or no, no. You know what? I I do weirdly find a little comfort in, and again, this is just because I think that death should be as swift as possible. Yeah, you know, I mean that's swift. what we all. Well, no, yeah. no, it was their actual deaths were the the yeah, leading up to it was not necessarily like I'm sure it kept getting worse and worse and it was becoming clearer and clearer what was happening over several minutes. But the fact that like one breath of this superheated air could kill them, mm-hmm. like that's probably what happened. Yeah, that's true. And so and, t- and it, two breaths of it was like certain death. Yeah. So basically yeah. it took seconds to actually physically kill them yeah. versus, um, you know, like being literally burned alive. That, yeah. that likely did not happen. Um, just because, I mean, when you're talking about these tragedies, the best you can hope for is the least amount of suffering. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what we all hope for. I've said that multiple times. We all hope for a nice, quick deaths, you know, and, at, I mean, at least it sounds like hopefully they at least got that. L- hey, not and, much and, physical suffering. And most people, like you mentioned earlier, and um, ones we've done before, most people on fire die of... Like smoke in, inhalation, yes. or or, yeah. or smoke inhalation is one thing. Yeah. This is about the air. Was yeah, that's, yeah. That's two different things. But yeah, so that, right. yeah. The burning doesn't tend to kill people. No. It's the, the you're, you're dead. You're dead before that. It's it's your breathing. That, yeah. yeah, respiration tends to kill. But and you know, there's also I feel also a little bit of the sense that I got from when we did the Columbia space shuttle. Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of a sense of honor in people who die. Trying to do a job. Doing what they were doing, especially. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They died trying to save people. They did, yeah. And that's there's something really honorable about that. Mm-hmm. Very noble. I mean, I think yeah. people would agree with that in general. Um, and it's... Uh, Not only people, like animals, the vegetation. I mean, they, they died... Yeah, they died trying to save a lot of things. Yeah, they did. You I know? mean, like it, like... Like, their sign said, you know, it's not about saving... Your life is not worth structures, yeah. you know? But... But um, it is worth a person. It is worth a person. They were trying to protect towns. Mm-hmm. Little towns that were... That were gonna get... And, and interestingly, like, in that fire, 19 firefighters died, but no civilians died. That's what I just... I, 
bringing it back to that, that's what I meant to ask before and forgot. Nobody else died in this So time. no civilians died. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, then they did their job. Yeah. Cost, yeah. Them, cost them their lives, but... And, and even though the fire spread afterwards, uh, their efforts may have kept preventing sure. from becoming ten times Well, worse. it certainly didn't hurt. Yes. We'll, we'll put it that way. Yes. So, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's pretty... That's uh, that's pretty tragic. And it was a lot of, like, except for Marsh, most of the guys were in their 20s. Yeah. So it was, it was a I, lot of young guys. And I'm and, hoping not married and with no kids. Um, Not so much, yeah. necessarily. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're, I, I didn't read too much into those, because I was like, how, how, how much do we want to wallow in this tragedy? <laughs> how tragic do I want to make this? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sure they will ramp that up. When the, movie, the movie, when the movie absolutely. comes out. Yeah. No, but they definitely, in some of the articles I read, they talked about spouses. And because they were young guys, they had young kids. Yeah, well, sure. So, so well, hopefully I, their spouses are, and their kids are taken yeah. care of, and their parents, and, you know, are, and there are various, apparently, I didn't read too much into this, but there's apparently various litigation that's been ongoing with the families and the... I, I don't doubt that. Uh, which is understandable, and, you know, there's a, there's a lot of things going on, but I, I didn't get too deep in that, because I thought, like... The, the, yeah. Meh. Plus, this was only a few years ago, and litigation can take years. So yes, especially in, especially in that realm. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this was a sad one, but... Uh, I mean, they're all sad. Tragedy is tragedy. It's all sad. Loss of life. But, like I said, I got a little bit of that sense of, like, there's a nobility mm-hmm. to their deaths because of what they died doing. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. And, uh, you know, hopefully at least there would be some sort of comfort in, like, not dying in vain, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, but... So yes, that was the Granite Mountain Hot Shots. May they rest in peace. Yes, and and uh, I and having done a story specifically about firefighters, mm-hmm. I have to mention uh, my yes. my uh, one of my best friends James, who is a firefighter in in Arizona, in, in Tucson. Yes, he is a captain. Yes, yeah, and I'll have to mention again, my grandfather retired um, battalion chief. Yeah. From uh, Miami Dade Fire <laughs> Firefighters Fire. have got some balls. I wouldn't do that. There's no way. It's a it's a calling. I yeah. think. Yeah. So to if if there's any firefighters out there, we salute you. Absolutely. Well done. Please don't die. Yes. <laughs> if at all possible, until you're old and just, just don't gray do it. Just don't do it. Ninety nine years old. Yeah. Yeah, stay stay safe out there, as yes. they say. Isn't that wasn't that the Hill Street Blues captain's line? Stay safe out there. I was a little kid when that was out. I don't. I've never seen an episode. <laughs> I, <don't, laughs> I remember when it was on. I was like five or six. Or My parents like when used that to was, like that show. Yeah, I was a little kid when that was big. So, so I do not know that from Hill That's one of the few pop culture references I will ah, I will not get. Okay. Is Hill Street Blues because I was six. Before your time, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, um, and enjoy the movie if you go to see it. I, I kind of want to see it I now. I think I want to see it now, too. Yeah. Yeah, now that we know the story Although behind I it. I kind of feel like I'll, I'll be there. In yeah. The like, be right. judging. Uh, yeah. That's not scientifically yeah. accurate. Like, like Josh Brolin, he's not supposed to have a mustache. Actually, he is supposed to have a mustache. No, I, was, I was kidding. Oh, okay. I was just throwing something <laughs> stupid out there. I saw a picture of Eric Marsh, though, and he does have a pretty spectacular mustache. I'm sure mustache. he does. I mean, his name is Eric Marsh. And, and he's a fire superintendent. He's the head of... The Hot Shots. The Grand Amount <laughs> yeah, Hot Shots. Of course, he, yeah. of course he has a fucking he, good mustache. God 
goddamn deserves to have an <laughs> yes. epic mustache. Yes. Absolutely. I will never be able to grow an epic mustache. Yeah, it's, okay. it's just not in the cards. I, I don't want you to have an epic mustache. Good. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, well, that was a tough one. Yeah. You don't like to hear about no. 19 firefighters dying, no. but... No. Um... But they died with dignity and honor, and may they rest in peace. Yes, absolutely. And this has been another episode of All Bad Things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. And we'll see you next week.